Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D., and today I'll be bringing you part one of the case of Maricela Bateo in Dallas, Texas. Let's get right to it. In October of 2020, 23-year-old Maricela Bateo set out on a trip from her home in Seattle, Washington, south to Dallas, Texas. According to court testimony, the trip was meant to be a mini-vacation to visit a friend she hadn't seen for quite a while. He was Raul Ortiz. Maricela and Raul had met in 2018 when he was stationed in Washington State. At the time they met, he was serving in the Army, but he had since gotten out and moved to the Dallas area. The two had briefly dated, but for whatever reason, things didn't work out. However, they remained friends and stayed in touch over the years. Maricela loved to travel, and with the prices for flights dropping due to the pandemic, after Raul invited her out to Dallas, she booked a trip. For Maricela, it was the perfect opportunity. She'd get to visit a new place and see an old friend. So, on October 2, 2020, at about 6 a.m., Maricela hugged her mom, grabbed her suitcase, and headed out the door to her waiting Uber. According to her mom, Maricela was excited for her trip. She had saved up her money, and after everything being shut down due to the pandemic, she was happy to finally get out of the house. She arrived in Dallas, and Raul picked her up at the airport. Maricela and Raul had plans for a weekend of eating, getting a few drinks, and hitting some of the bars and clubs in the Deep Ellum area. Deep Ellum is a neighborhood just east of downtown Dallas. According to Say Yes to Dallas, there are over 60 restaurants, 25 clubs, and more than 30 shops in a half-mile square. There is the legendary Pecan Lodge barbecue joint, you can catch live performances at Dada Dallas, or walk over to Punk Society to dance the night away with DJs from all over the place. Needless to say, Deep Ellum is where all the youngins go to have a good time. It comes as no surprise that 23-year-old Maricela wanted to take it all in. Deep Ellum is the place you go when you want to let your hair down and live a little, but it also has a reputation for being kind of dangerous, a reputation that the mayor and city officials in Dallas would rather not talk about, since tourism plays a major role in the city's economy. According to CBS News, in 2022, a special task force had to be created with officers assigned just to the Deep Ellum neighborhood after a rash of violence which included four murders. Four murders a year and a half a square mile is concerning, but regardless of the crime, thousands flock to the area any given weekend. And as we know, in 2020, Deep Ellum was where Raul and Maricela planned to hang out. And they did just that. By all accounts, Maricela was enjoying her time in Dallas. Fast forward to Sunday, October 4, 2020. Maricela and Raul slept in before heading out at around noon. They spent the day eating out and hitting some of the bars to get a few drinks. 
Raoul apparently had a few too many because according to later court testimony, he got sick and ended up getting vomit on his shirt. At that point, he and Maricela went back to his apartment so he could change clothes. But when they made it back to the apartment, Raoul realized he didn't have his keys to get in and his roommate was gone. So they were stuck on the balcony. Now Maricela didn't have quite as many drinks as Raoul. Sure, she was having a good time, but she wasn't overly intoxicated. Not wanting to spend her last night on vacation in Texas out on a balcony with a drunk Raul, Maricela ordered a lift back to the Deep Ellum area. The plan was for Raul to wait for his roommate to get back, change, and catch back up with Maricela. Maricela ordered her rideshare and left, and Raul, well, he laid out on the balcony and at some point passed out. He didn't wake up until the next morning, and when he did, he knew immediately that something was wrong. Maricela was still gone, but her suitcase was not. Raul knew that she had a flight to catch that morning, and he was supposed to drive her to the airport. He tried to get a hold of her, he called, texted, messaged her on all of her social media accounts, but he got no response. According to Raul, he called the police to report her missing. Back in Seattle, Maricela's mom was waiting for her to return. According to court testimony, she knew she was supposed to be back in the afternoon of the 5th, but wasn't sure of the exact time. So when afternoon came around, she started texting her, but Maricela wasn't responding. This wasn't like her. Though she was 23 and an adult, she still lived at home with her mom, dad, and siblings. She always stayed in contact with her parents, and if something had happened and she was going to be late getting in, she would have called to let them know. But the hours passed with no word from Maricela. Her mom knew she was scheduled to work at Charlotte Ruse, and as it got closer to her shift, she felt without a doubt that something was very wrong. Maricela would never miss work. She had worked so hard to become the assistant manager at her store. There was no way she'd just not show up for work. Her mom reached out to her cousin Denesley for help, and she was quickly able to determine that not only had Maricela not boarded her flight, she hadn't rebooked another one. This was all so out of character for her, so her family took immediate action. They started with police in Dallas. They tried to make a report, but they were dismissed. The police told the family that since it had only been a matter of hours, there was nothing they could do and the police tried to reassure them that everything was fine and they had no reason to worry. But they knew Maricela. Something was wrong and they weren't going to just sit around and wait. Denesley put on her detective hat and went to work. She accessed Maricela's email account, and from there she was able to change her password on Snapchat to gain access to that account. And she didn't stop there. Before it was said and done, Denesley had gained access to Maricela's email, Snapchat, bank accounts, and phone records. And like the queen she is, she found the location of the last lift ride Maricela had taken. She compared that to her last debit card transactions and found that Maricela had last been in the Deep Ellum area where she made a purchase at 7-Eleven. Denesley and Maricela's father, Salvador, booked a flight to Dallas for the following day and headed to Deep Ellum to find Maricela. Once in Dallas, they rented a car and got to searching. They went to Raul's, picked up Maricela's belongings, and tried to get whatever information they could out of him. He stuck to his story about passing out and waking up to find Maricela gone. 
You can imagine that at first, his story seemed pretty convenient and unbelievable. I mean, come on, he was drunk, passed out, and the woman who had flown across the country to hang out with him, the woman who knew nobody else in the Dallas area, was now missing, and he didn't have a clue where she had gone. This story raised several eyebrows, as well it should. But as Denesley and Salvador continued tracking down clues, all signs indicated that as stupid as Raul's story was, it was the truth. Raul's apartment wasn't the only place Denesley and Salvador went. It was far from it. The pair drove to every location Maricela had swiped her bank card at, asking to review surveillance video and if anyone remembered seeing her. One of the last places Maricela had used her debit card was a bar called the Select Start Arcade. When Salvador and Denesli made it to the Select Start, they were able to view surveillance video that showed Maricela at the bar alone. It seemed as if everything was fine. Maricela was sitting alone at the bar, chatting with the bartender. Surveillance video outside also captured Maricela leaving at around 1.15 a.m., but at this point, she wasn't alone. Maricela was walking with an unknown man. The video was blurry and only captured a few seconds before Maricela and the man disappeared out of frame. Though it was hard to make many of the details out, it appeared that Maricela was walking willingly with whoever it was, and she was wearing the same dress she had taken a photo in and saved to her camera roll and Snapchat. Putting everything together, her family knew the exact outfit Maricela had been wearing the last time she was seen. It was a metallic purple dress and her hair was pulled half up, half down, and a cheetah print scrunchie. They were also able to determine that she had used her phone at around 4am on the 5th. And then, all activity stopped. There were no more outgoing calls or texts, no more surveillance, and no activity on her bank account. Again, they contacted the Dallas Police Department. But according to Denesley's later court testimony, again they were dismissive. Police told the family that Maricela's case wasn't a priority until she had been missing longer, and that since they had no information indicating she was in immediate danger, they weren't going to do anything about it. But to Maricela's family, it was clear that she was in immediate danger. She hadn't made contact with anyone had missed her flight, missed work, hadn't used her phone or her debit card. This should have been a giant red flag for police. But unfortunately, it wasn't. Maricela's family continued to do what police wouldn't. They gathered evidence and tracked down leads. It goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. They are the perfect example of what to do when a loved one goes missing. They did everything right, and their actions secured evidence that would have otherwise been lost, like the surveillance footage and Snapchat photos. They wasted no time going into full investigative mode, and there is no doubt that the family's investigation was extremely beneficial to Maricela's case. After they had done all they could in Dallas, Denesley and Salvador had to head back to Seattle. So at this point, Maricela's friend Patrick drove overnight from Seattle to Dallas to take over the search in Texas. The family used that last known photo of Maricela to make flyers. Patrick went to every bar in the Deep Ellum area and hung the missing posters. He secured video footage from the bars and did whatever he could to get the word out that Maricela was missing. At the same time, once Denesley and Salvador got back to Washington, Denesley started spreading the word on social media. 
Branson family shared Maricela's photos, the surveillance video of her leaving the bar, and the details about when and where she was last seen, and it spread like wildfire. After a push from the family on social media, by October 11th, so a week after Maricela had vanished, the media began to pick up the story. Local Dallas news stations like WFAA began running segments and publishing articles online. And the police continued to do absolutely nothing. All of the information from the articles about the unknown man, that Maricela had last been in the Deep Ellum area, that she hadn't used her phone or accessed her accounts, that all came from Maricela's family. According to the family, three weeks passed before police in Dallas decided to take Maricela's case seriously. Sure, they had taken down a report, but over those weeks, Maricela remained in a want-to-locate status, which basically means if an officer bumped into her on the street, they'd tell her to call home. A month after Maricela was last seen, all that changed when Dallas police upgraded her case from that want-to-locate status to endangered missing, and officials publicly named a person of interest in Maricela's disappearance. On November 4, 2020, a press conference was held. Lieutenant Eric Roman of Youth Operations and Missing Persons for Dallas Police announced that Maricela was now considered an endangered missing person. My name is Lieutenant Roman. I am the uh, lieutenant unit commander for youth operations and missing persons. Uh, today's interview is going to be regarding the uh, missing person and what to locate uh, as we upgraded it to a uh, endangered missing for Miss Maricela Botello Valadez. Because we can start from the beginning where we knew Miss Botello came to the city of Dallas, Texas from Seattle, Washington. She came to visit a friend. During that time and during her visit, um, she ended up returning back to the, his place of residence and then going back out to uh, the Deep Ellum area. From the Deep Ellum area, she visited a, a, a few of the businesses in the area. And then we know based upon our investigation and information from uh, people who spoke to us that she ended up meeting a, a secondary person and leaving the location. Uh, from there, based upon our investigation, based upon uh, video, we were able to determine uh, who that person was and we are currently uh, asking for the public's help and for anybody who was in the area during the weekend of October 5th through the 6th, if you saw Miss Maricela uh, Boteo, please uh, assist us because we do need more information regarding her, self uh, her safe return at this time. Um, so right now we're just working on trying to locate Miss Boteo. We want her to uh, either contact us if you happen to know anything about her current whereabouts or where, if you were in that area during that night, you happen to have uh, a picture taken with her or you were speaking with her, please give us a call, let us know. Uh, and we would like to talk to her, talk to anybody else that would uh, have any information. Lieutenant Roman went on to say that the person of interest Dallas police were now looking for was 31-year-old Charles Beltran. The lieutenant made it clear that at this time, Beltran was only a person of interest and not a suspect, and police just wanted to talk to him. The press conference wasn't much of a press conference, but at least DPD was finally making a public appeal for information. And they did release a few more details. Fox 4 News reported that Charles Beltran had been identified as the man captured in the security video leaving the bar with Maricela. 
and he was last known to be driving a black 2014 Audi A6 with Texas license plate MJG3114. Police told the family that they had attempted to make contact with Beltran, but their attempts up to this point had been unsuccessful, and it appeared that once he had been identified by police, he had moved. In other words, it seemed Charles Beltran was on the run. But why? And who in the hell was Charles Beltran anyway? Charles Beltran, also known as 5050 Chuck or Chuck Gorgeous, that last one is highly debatable, was a wannabe rapper with a violent criminal record. The Dallas News reported that Beltran's serious criminal record began back in 2007, when he was convicted of aggravated robbery after he pistol-whipped a man and stole his wallet. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison, but somehow released on probation after serving just four months. He then violated his probation in 2009 and was sentenced to two and a half years in prison. It's unclear how much of that sentence he actually served before being released upon society again because math doesn't math when it comes to criminal sentencing. After his release, he remained a menace and picked up several possession charges as well as a domestic violence charge after allegedly assaulting one of his baby mamas. I say one because there are multiple, but we're going to leave them out of this. In 2020, he was 31 years old and still trying to make it in the rap game, with a whole seven followers on SoundCloud and hits like SOS with lyrics like, They all bark, they all rough, no bite. You want beef? Well, all right. Well, all right. All right, all right, all right. SOS, straight on sight. And then repeat until you have a headache. I'm surprised Matthew McConaughey hasn't sued for copyright infringement. Anyhow, another one of his masterpieces was titled Picture Me This, which goes in part. Let's talk about how I'm blowing up quickity quick, cause my shit is litty lit. Got your baby mama dancing to my shit. Got your grandmama dancing to my shit. He goes on to say something about a lickety lick on his, yeah, you guessed it. Needless to say, Charles Beltran could try all he wanted, but his rap career wasn't leaving SoundCloud. I mean, Dr. Seuss has written harder bars, and I'm not even trying to be funny. It's just true. And I'm only kind of being petty here. Beltran's rap aspirations are a huge part of this case. Oh, and remember that grandmama part. You'll know why here in a hot minute. As I said before, Charles Beltran has several aliases. The ones he used most were Chuck 5050 or 5050 Chuck, which he came up with claiming he was 50% amazing and 50% crazy. And then there was Chuck Gorgeous. According to later testimony from Beltran's friends and acquaintances, there was a little truth to that alias or rap name or whatever you want to call it, and Beltran had a way with the ladies. I don't get it, and neither did they, but he always seemed to be able to sweet-talk women into coming home with him. In fact, at the time Maricela vanished, he was living with two much older women, 57-year-old Lisa Dykes and 49-year-old Nina Murano. Nina Murano and Lisa Dykes were longtime friends who eventually became lovers after Nina's much older husband died. Oh, it's a whole story in itself. Let's start with Nina and Bill. In 1990, a 19-year-old Nina married 53-year-old Bill Murano in Pennsylvania. Bill was a businessman who had done well for himself and opened several successful businesses. 
After marrying Bill, Nina went to school and eventually became a lawyer. It's unclear exactly when or how, but it appears that Nina met her friend Lisa Dykes while working at a law firm in Florida. They must have hit it off because they remain friends, even though at some point they both moved to different states. Both Nina and Lisa owned multiple properties in several different states. Fast forward to November of 2019, when Bill Murano passed away unexpectedly. SI Live reported that 82-year-old Bill Murano died after suffering a medical episode during a car crash on Broad Street. The NYPD told the outlet that Bill was found unresponsive inside a 1972 Ford Custom 100 truck at 11.46 p.m. on November 7, 2019. He was transported to a hospital but later pronounced deceased. Neighbors remembered Bill as a kind soul who frequently gave people in the area food and was helpful to everyone he came across. As the outlet spoke with the neighbors, they noted that there was a for sale sign in Bill's yard, and one neighbor said that he was planning to move before his death. For 82 years young, Bill was relatively healthy and active. Everyone in the neighborhood knew and loved him, and his age hadn't slowed him down a bit. Now, there are some rumors floating around the interwebs that Bill's marriage to Nina was in trouble, and some believe there was more to Bill's death than just an accident. But there was no report or document I could find that backs that claim up, so take it with a gigantic grain of salt. However, Nina Murano didn't grieve the loss of her husband long. Mere months after his death, she married Lisa Dykes. And when they got married, Murano didn't take the last name of Dykes or Dykes the last name of Murano. Instead, both women took the last name of Beltran, as in Charles Beltran, 50-50 Chuck or whatever in the hell you want to call him. Why? I told y'all it was a story in and of itself. If you asked Beltran, he'd tell you it was because 57-year-old Lisa Dykes was his sugar mama and 49-year-old Nina Murano was hers. It was like a whole sugar mama pyramid scheme. But if you asked Lisa Dykes, she'd claim she was just investing in an up-and-coming rapper. The truth is that a chance meeting with Charles Beltran and Deep Ellum turned into a nightmare for Maricela and her family. If she had bumped into any other normal human being that night, I wouldn't be here telling you this story. Maricela walked out of a bar with Charles Beltran and into a twisted world of jealousy, greed, and obsession. A world someone as young, smart, and as beautiful as Maricela Botello Valadez didn't belong. But when she met Beltran that night in Deep Ellum, she had no idea that world even existed. You see, this whole Sugar Mama Pyramid scheme had begun when Charles Beltran met Lisa Dykes at a bar called On Premise. On Premise was the bar Lisa's son Kyle was managing. When they met, Beltran was working as a doorman and bringing home about a hundred bucks a night. That clearly wasn't enough for the wannabe rapper. It wasn't long after they met that Lisa Dykes started whining and dining Beltran. Sure, she was old enough to be his mother, but she took him out to fancy dinners, built a studio in her home for him to record his dirty rap songs, bought him a car, clothes, and let him move in. And then after Nina's husband died, Beltran had it made. Nina had even more money and resources than Lisa. Beltran could focus on his rap career and the women could foot the bill. 
That sounded like a good deal on paper, but Beltran was always out on the party scene in the Bellum and surrounded by beautiful women in his own age bracket. Temptation is a hell of a drug, and Beltran couldn't resist. He wanted to have his cake and eat it too. And that didn't sit well with the women in his life. Weeks after Maricela's missing persons case was upgraded and Charles Beltran was identified as a person of interest, investigators obtained warrants for the phone records of Beltran, Dykes, and Murano. Those records were compared to Maricela's, and according to an arrest warrant, all four parties were together at Lisa and Charles Holman Mesquite the night Maricela was last known to be alive. Those phone records also showed that the next day, October 5th, 2020, Lisa Dykes and Nina Murano were together when they traveled to an area south of Dallas near Hutchins, Texas. The area was densely wooded and close to several bodies of water and a concrete plant. After traveling to Hutchins, Dykes and Murano returned to their home in Mesquite. This led police to execute a search warrant at Lisa Dyke's home at 3113 Kensington Drive on October 31, 2020. It was a three-bedroom, two-bath house in a nice neighborhood on a relatively quiet street, a home that was shared by Charles Beltran, Lisa Dykes, and sometimes Nina Murano. But by that Halloween day, none of the three of them were there when police arrived, and from the looks of it, it appeared they had left in a hurry. According to court testimony, there wasn't much furniture left and the bedroom and the ceiling had caved in. Why? Your guess is as good as mine. Anyhow, the house was in disarray as if it was abandoned in the middle of moving. A lot had been taken, but what was left behind had no rhyme or reason, as if whoever was packing up ran out of time. But according to police documents, the carpets appeared to have been recently cleaned. After taking a look around, investigators got down to business, starting with the carpet, and they located what appeared to be blood underneath the carpet on the carpet pad in the guest bedroom, which was believed to be Charles Beltran's room. In the guest bathroom, Blue Star revealed the presence of possible blood on the door, sink, bathtub, and floor. Swabs were taken and sent off for DNA analysis. As investigators waited on test results to come back, the 2014 Black Audi, which was registered to Lisa Dykes and Nina Murano, but purchased as a gift for Charles Beltran, the same Audi he was driving the night Maricela vanished, was located in New York. It hadn't been driven there, though. An arrest warrant reads that the Audi had been transported and Beltran was nowhere to be found. And further, court testimony revealed that the Audi had also been thoroughly cleaned, but not good enough, because investigators located a hair in the trunk which appeared to match Maricela's. Concrete material was also found in the rear wheel well of the car, which appeared to match the same type and color of concrete used at the concrete plant, which was near where Dykes and Murano traveled on October 5th. On January 29, 2021, lab results were back, and the blood found on the carpet and carpet pad in Beltran's room matched the DNA profile of Maricela Bateo Valadez. All of this coupled with the fact that Maricela hadn't made contact with anyone, her bank account hadn't been touched, and Beltran, Dykes, and Murano were evading police, led investigators to believe that Maricela was deceased and Beltran, Dykes, and Murano were responsible for her death and disappearance. And unfortunately, they were right. 
On March 24, 2021, a woman placing traps for feral cats near a wooded area around the 3600 block of Post Oak Street in South Dallas County stumbled upon a human skull. She called 911 and officers responded to the scene. There, just a few feet off the road, they recovered human remains along with black trash bags and silver duct tape. The body had been left out in the elements and exposed to the weather and animal activity. A positive identification wasn't immediately made, but the location left investigators suspecting that this was Maricela. The remains were found in the same area Murano and Dyke's cell phone records showed they had driven October 5th near the concrete plant, and that location was only between a three- to five-minute drive away from another property Lisa also owned. The following day, on March 25, 2021, nearly six months after she had vanished, police confirmed what they already suspected. The remains were identified through dental records as those of 23-year-old Maricela Bateo Valadez. They had finally found Maricela. But where were Charles Beltran, Lisa Dykes, and Nina Murano? Because at this point, they were now all three wanted on suspicion of murder. It will surprise no one that the Twisted Trio had all fled the state of Texas. While they were on the run, Beltran uploaded old videos to his 5050 Chuck Instagram account to make it seem like he was still in Dallas. But he wasn't. According to later court testimony, Lisa Dykes changed her hair and tried to lay low. Beltran eventually deactivated his Instagram and scrubbed a lot of his nonsense from the internet, but not before releasing another song titled Person of Interest, which he used to declare his innocence. While I'd love to recite some more lyrics for you, Person of Interest seems to be one of those things Beltran was successful in removing. I wonder why. Anyhow, it didn't take long for investigators to track them down. The same day Maricela's remains were positively identified, Nina Murano was apprehended in Miami, Florida. A whole 24 hours later, Lisa Dykes was arrested in Orlando, Florida on March 27, 2021. And then there was Beltran. He wasn't picked up in Florida, but arrested by the U.S. Marshals North Texas Violent Fugitive Task Force all the way out in West Jordan, Utah, a few days later on April 2nd. Why Utah? Well, it turns out Nina Murano had some ties there. Beltran, Dykes, and Murano were extradited back to Texas and each given a bond of half a million dollars. A month after their arrest, Lisa Dykes and Nina Murano were able to bond out. They were accused of capital murder, but nevertheless, a bond was set and they were able to make it. But Charles Beltran must have pissed them off at this point because they left his ass in jail. Dykes and Murano were out and living together back in Texas for several months under house arrest, complete with snazzy ankle monitors. Ankle monitors that were supposed to be, I don't know, monitoring their movements, but apparently they weren't monitoring them close enough. Because according to police documents, at 7.28 a.m. on Christmas Day 2021, the monitor lost Nina Murano's GPS coordinates, and then four minutes later, at 7.32, Lisa Dyke's GPS tracker also stopped tracking. Their last known location was together at an address in Dallas that, according to a property search, is owned by Bridgeford Foods Corporation the company that makes the really good monkey bread you find at the frozen section of the grocery store? Y'all know, the one that comes in the red and white package? 
Well, the address listed in the police documents was one of their manufacturing plants. Who knows if that's just the closest location with an address to where they were or if they were stocking up on snacks for their journey. Either way, their fancy anklets were cut or destroyed, and Dykes and Murano were on the run again. It seems they waited until Christmas morning when they knew there'd be a skeleton crew monitoring their activity, and their plan paid off. Because after the anklets were cut, nobody from Sentinel Monitoring, which is the company that Dallas County and many others use for their monitoring of violent criminals, well, nobody from Sentinel did anything about it until two days later. You know, two days later, on December 27th, they decided to text call and email Dykes and Murano. But shockingly, they didn't answer. When are we gonna learn it's probably not a great idea to give a murderer a bond? Anyhow, the court wasn't notified that Dykes and Murano had absconded until 10 days after the monitors lost GPS signal on January 4th, 2022. Dykes and Murano had 10 days to get the hell out of Dodge before anyone was really looking for them. And out of Dodge and off the grid is exactly where Lisa Dykes and Nina Murano were headed. But that will have to wait until next week because we're running out of time. And there is still so much more to this story. An international manhunt, a twist even I didn't see coming, and missing and deleted evidence that affected not only Maricela's case, but could potentially affect hundreds of homicide cases as they move forward to trial. Something is happening in the Dallas County judicial system and we should all be paying attention. Before we go today, I just have to say, the details surrounding Maricela's case seem at times too crazy to believe. But the reality is that an innocent 23-year-old girl lost her life and her family is left without her for the rest of theirs. In much of the reporting, Maricela gets lost in all the salacious headlines and the mudslinging by defense attorneys representing these three lunatics, but Maricela deserves to be remembered for who she was. Maricela Boteo Valadez is the firstborn daughter of Ernestina and Salvador Boteo. She was born on January 29, 1997 in North Carolina. When she was eight months old, her family moved from North Carolina to Seattle so her father could get a better job in life for his family. In high school, Maricela ran track, had good grades, and wanted to continue her education. But her family couldn't afford it, so she worked and saved her money to go back to school to be a nutritionist. At the time of her death, she was well on her way to achieving her dream. Maricela loved traveling, going to the beach, and spending time with her friends and family. She trusted easily, made friends wherever she went. She was kind, loving, and always happy. That's all for this week, but be sure to join me next Thursday for part two of Maricela's story. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcasts. And if you're sick of ad interruptions, I've got good news for you. You can get all your episodes ad-free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.